to see some visitors here today. Welcome. In the first uh, meeting we had this weekend, we talked about how the kingdom of God is a small realm surrounded by a larger realm, which is the satanic cosmos. And I I think we all realized that um, we have to live in the reality of the kingdom of God inwardly while we are interacting with people and things which are really a part of the satanic cosmos. It's good for us to realize this. Uh, Otherwise, we don't make a clear distinction. We, We don't know where we are. But in this message, I would like to tell you that the satanic cosmos and the kingdom of God are not only realms outside of us. Both of them are within us. The kingdom of God is within us and the satanic cosmos is within us. So in this message or this outline, what we see is that these two kingdoms are actually very subjective. It's not just outward that, oh, I go to a certain place and now I'm in the cosmos. No, you can be in the cosmos just by being in your mind. You can be in the cosmos just by exercising yourself. That's what this outline talks about. We know the gospel of Matthew is the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, As soon as the gospel began to be preached by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter three, verse two, he said, repent, for the kingdom of the heavens has drawn near. So the gospel in the book of Matthew is the gospel of the kingdom. Then in Matthew four, the Lord came to preach the gospel. He repeated John's word, repent for the kingdom of the heavens has drawn near. Then in chapter six of Matthew, the disciples asked the the Lord how to pray, talking about prayer. The best prayer is the prayer that matches God's desire and his heart. So when the Lord taught the disciples to pray, you all know that prayer uh, in, in Matthew 6. What is the subject of the prayer in Matthew 6? What would you say? Our Father, our, who is in the heavens, etc., etc. The subject of that prayer is the kingdom. Right at the beginning of the prayer, he says, Your kingdom come. And then he closes the prayer by saying, Yours is the kingdom. So everything in the Gospel of Matthew has a focus, which is the kingdom. And then again in Matthew 10, when the Lord sent the disciples out to preach the gospel, they, he charged them to preach exactly the same way that he and John the Baptist did. Then in Matthew 24, 14, it says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all of the inhabited earth for a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. And then at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 19, when the Lord sent out the disciples, he, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and disciple the nations. That word disciple is only used in Matthew, not in the other gospels, to disciple the nations is to cause them to become people in the kingdom of God. 
So you can see the entire book of Matthew is about the kingdom. And it's in this book, the book on the kingdom, that the church is mentioned for the very first time in the New Testament and actually in the whole Bible. In Matthew 16, the verses which we read, <clears throat> that's the first mention of the church in the Bible. You know, in reading the Bible, there is a particular significance to the first mention of a matter or a thing. It sets a principle for every other instance that you come across in the Bible. And did you notice that in Matthew 16, two things are paired together, the church and the kingdom. Actually, you cannot have one without the other. Uh, there's a very direct relationship, and I would say an intertwined relationship between the church and the kingdom. <clears throat> you know, the kingdom has two aspects. In this age, the kingdom is entirely an inward matter. That's the reality of the kingdom. When I look at you today, you look just like, well, not exactly, but you look a lot like everybody else who lives on this earth. You don't look outwardly that different, but inwardly, you are in the kingdom of God and they are in the kingdom of Satan, but it's an inward matter in this age. It's not so apparent. Uh, in the next age, it will be apparent. That's the age of the manifestation of the kingdom. During the millennial kingdom, it'll be very apparent who's in the kingdom of the heavens and who's not in the kingdom of the heavens. So, what is the relationship between the church and the kingdom? I would say it this way, the kingdom in this age, the reality of the kingdom produces the church. You can't have the church without the reality of the kingdom. They're actually the same thing. The reality of the kingdom equals the church. But then the church brings in the manifestation of the kingdom in the next age. So you can't have one without the other. So that's the reason why in Matthew 16, the Lord combines these two matters. As soon as he says, I will build my church, he immediately says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. You can't build the church unless you use the keys of the kingdom. Well, this keys of the kingdom, if you read most Bible expositions, they, they interpret them objectively. They say, well, there's two keys. The Bible never says there's two keys, but this is, this is the way people read the Bible, unfortunately. They said, oh, there's two keys. One key to open the door of the kingdom for the Jews on the day of Pentecost, and then another key to open the door for the Gentiles. I don't disagree with that, but I, but I would like to say that strictly speaking, the Bible never says that. And there are not two keys in Matthew, in Matthew 16. We need to interpret the Bible by the Bible, and the context means everything. Do you see any Jews or Gentiles in Matthew 16? I don't. And how many keys are there in Matthew 16? There's actually three, not two. So we are going to interpret Matthew 16 not objectively, but subjectively. And we're going to interpret it exactly according to what the text says. That's the best way to interpret the Bible. So, first point, by the way, I will do my best to finish. I'm, my goal is to, pray for me, my goal is to finish by 11 so that we have time for sharing and, oh, we are? Okay, I might go a little past 11, but I wanna make sure we have time for sharing this morning, and I know we have some other things to do. <clears throat> okay, how about we read Roman numeral one together? Matthew 
Okay, this is very important. In this short section, which we read this morning, two very big things are revealed. The way that the church is built up. In fact, I would, not to disagree with this outline, but let me add a third one. The first thing that is revealed is the greatest prophecy in the Bible and the first mention of the church. The first thing that this chapter reveals is a prophecy. The Lord said, I will build my church. Again, I say the way most people interpret that prophecy is to equate it with the salvation of people and say the way the Lord will build his church is by saving people. Again, I say, better read Matthew 16. It doesn't talk about salvation of people, does it? Uh, And I won't, again, I, I won't say it's wrong. It's just a very objective understanding of what it means to build the church. Say, as soon as we get enough people saved, then the church is built. Not totally wrong, but certainly not right either. When we read this prophecy, we should look at what immediately follows to find out what it means to build the church. So right after the Lord makes this prophecy, he reveals the way that he is going to build the church. And then, with the help of Peter, <laughs> he reveals the enemy of the building up of the church. Peter's a big help most of the time, in a negative way. <clears throat> so I would say these three things are all there in Matthew 16 a great prophecy, the way this will be fulfilled. And what must be overcome? What must be overcome in order for this prophecy to be revealed? So first it says, Christ, the son of the living God, builds the church on himself as the rock. I know a lot of you, I have found out this weekend that a a lot of you came out of different Christian backgrounds. You probably have never in your entire life heard a proper interpretation of Matthew 16. Most people, when they read Matthew 16, think that the rock is Peter. (laughs) Because, you know, the Lord changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter, and the name Peter means a stone. So, a lot of Bible interpreters and Bible readers say, oh, the Lord's going to build on Peter. Wow, really? If he is, according to this chapter, he's building on Satan. (laughs) And that's the interpretation that the Catholic Church has. I know this well because I grew up in that. Well, you have to read carefully. When you read the Bible, You have to read it slowly, carefully, and read it as though you have never read it before. If you can do that, you'll see a lot. You just read, just come to Matthew 16, forget everything you have ever heard. Just read it with the context. You'll find out what I'm telling you makes sense this morning. It's Christ who is the rock. He's the foundation that the church is built on. You know, in the New Testament, regarding the matter of the church, there's, there's a ground that the church is built on, and then the foundation of the church is on this ground, and then the stones, living stones, are built on this foundation. So the New Testament reveals three things related to the building up of the church. First, you have the ground. 
What is the ground of the church? Oh, very few people know this. And so they take many, many, many things as their ground other than what the New Testament reveals as the ground of the church. Let's do it this way. The ground of the church is the city in which the church exists. What's the name of our church, by the way? Or what's the name of the church in the Bible? The name is the church. That's it, the church. The church. Because in the universe, there's only one church. Only one. And we add, not as a name, but as a designation, the city in which the church is. Okay, this is like the moon. How many moons does Earth have? We're talking about Earth now, not Saturn. Or How many moons? Only one. So when we're standing in, where are we? What state are we in here? What city? Maryland? Huh? Edgewater? Oh, okay. When we're standing in Edgewater and we look up in the sky and we see the moon, we say, wow, there's a full moon in Edgewater tonight. And in Seattle, people are also looking at that same moon. Oh, the moon is full in Seattle tonight. It's only, it's the same moon. Listen, the church in Washington, D.C., and the church in Seattle, it's the same church. There's only one church. So by the way, when people ask you what church you go to, here's a good answer. There's only one. What church do you go to? There's only one. So the ground of the church is the city. The foundation that sits on that ground is Christ. Christ is not the ground, Christ is the foundation. And then the materials that are built on Christ are the stones like Peter. That's how the church is built up. It's built on a particular ground with a particular foundation and particular materials. So, Christ is the rock, and we could also say the revelation of Christ is the rock. In this chapter, Matthew 16, Peter, Peter's really something, isn't he? In the same chapter, he receives such a great revelation, and five minutes later, he says the dumbest thing ever recorded in the Bible. <laughs> Sounds like us, doesn't it? I mean, and you get the feeling that the Lord was surprised that Peter got it right. He, he said, who do men say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. The Lord says, whoa, Peter, okay, my father must have spoken to you because you've never, you've never gotten anything right before. But this time you did. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in the heavens. So that revelation of Christ is also the, the rock which the church is built on. Well, then immediately the Lord mentions, right as soon as he says, I will build my church, he, he mentions the gates of Hades. So the Lord has the realization from the very beginning that the church, the building of the church will be a fight. It'll be a battle. Yesterday we heard so many good um, testimonies related to the churches in this area. But did you notice every one of them has a struggle, has a fight? Of course they do. You should have no other expectation. The gates of Hades will always oppose the real and genuine church life, always. If there were no struggle, 
You have to put a question on what kind of church we're, we're building here. The gates of Hades, have you noticed that the gates of Hades is not particularly active against the Catholic Church? Of course not, because that's not a threat. But here we are in Baltimore, Maryland, building up a proper and genuine local church on the proper ground of the church with Christ as the foundation. Of course we're going to encounter difficulties. We should expect that. So, <clears throat> here it says, the gates of Hades, Satan's authority of darkness, attack the church to frustrate the Lord from building up the church. But you know, that attack, it's not, it's not like missiles fly in from the sky to attack our meeting hall. No, that's, that's not... That's not the kind of attack that we're talking about. You know, Hades signifies death in, in the Bible. And the attack of death, you know where it comes from? It comes from inside of us. It comes from inside of us. We may unwittingly become the agent of Hades to frustrate the Lord from building up the church. That's what this section shows us. Now, what is the way that the church will be built up revealed in Matthew 16? As soon as the Lord said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, the very next thing he said is that he had to pass through death and enter into resurrection. That's the way. That's the way he will build his church. It's through death and resurrection. That's why we sang the hymn that we sang this morning. For you and I to be a part of the building up of the church, it's going to be through death to the self and resurrection. Amen. So as soon as the Lord revealed the way, Peter spoke up. A second time, probably Peter was really bold since he said something right. <laughs> so she speaks up again. No, no, don't do it. Telling the Lord not to go through death and resurrection and even rebuking him. The Bible says he rebuked him. The Lord knew who was speaking. That wasn't Peter. That was Satan. That was Satan's attack on the building up of the church. So he called him Satan. He, he looked right at Peter and called him Satan. Because at that moment, Peter was one with Satan. The gates of Hades was Peter. He was the gate of Hades. Attacking the building of the church. The Lord knew that. Well, we need to thank Peter. Through his mistake, the Lord revealed the keys, the keys to the building up of the church. Peter, with a good heart, rebuked the Lord and tried to prevent the Lord from going to Jerusalem to be crucified. It was not Peter, but Satan who came out through one of the gates of Hades, the gate of Peter's self, to try to frustrate the Lord from building the church. I find it very interesting that it was out of Peter's good heart. You know that having a good heart, it's not enough. It's not enough. Sometimes we say that about a particular person. Oh, such a good heart for the church. Okay. A good heart for the church is good. But according to Matthew 16, a person with a good heart can still be a gate of Hades. So that's not enough. It's not enough to have a good heart. Okay. 
So this portion of Matthew reveals that there are three main gates of Hades. That means three gates that Satan may come through in order to attack and damage the church. What are these three gates? Number one, the self. The Lord's, it's plainly there in the text of these verses, the self. Number two, the mind. And number three, the soul life. Can you see they're all inward, aren't they? These three gates of Hades are inward. That's the kingdom of, of Satan, the satanic cosmos, not outside of us, but inside of us. You know, we're, we're complicated people. We have the Lord in us. We also have the corrupted satanic life and nature within us. We have the kingdom of God within us. We also have the kingdom of Satan within us. No wonder we experience such conflicts in our life. Uh, that's, it's a real thing. And Peter, Peter in the space of a couple of minutes was in the kingdom of God and jumped into the kingdom of Satan. Uh, it's just amazing. And, that, and we do that, don't we? We do that. And the reason we do it is that we have a regenerated spirit, but we also have an untransformed soul. And it's the soul that causes the problems. Why is it so hard to coordinate over such simple matters? We're going to have a young adults retreat at Camp Wabana. The brothers come together, and there's there's 10 brothers and 10 opinions, and they're all different. And it's not a big deal. We're just going to come together and have some meetings. But no, 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 no. we got to do it this way. The, the, the soul, the self, makes the building up of the church so difficult, doesn't it? That's, that's why we have difficulties when we try to coordinate, even for simple matters. Okay, let's read Roman numeral two together. The building. Okay, so in this section, the Lord reveals three keys. And these are not the keys to open up the kingdom. They're the keys to shut the gates, lock the gates of Hades. That's what we need to use the keys for, to lock up the gates. What are the three keys? It's A, B, and C under Roman numeral two. The first one, denying the self. Yeah, it's hard to say amen to that, I know. But let me, let me, let's try it again, okay? Denying the self. Amen. Very good. Taking up the cross. Amen. Even harder. Losing the soul life. Amen. Those are the three keys. Those are the three keys. Because it's, as I said, it's the self, the mind, and the soul life that are the three gates of Hades in this chapter. And the three keys are... Deny the self, take up the cross, that's related to our mind, and lose the soul life. So we'll consider these three keys now. The first key, we need to learn to exercise the key of denying the self. So in order to understand what it means to deny the self, we need to know what the Bible means by the word self. You know, the words that we read in the Bible, the, the words themselves are familiar to us, but they often have a different meaning in the Bible than the way we use them. So this word self, usually when it's used in society today, it's considered something very positive. <laughs> 
in the Bible, the self is really negative because God never created a self. He did not create a self. So let's, uh, let's do this. This is a trick I learned when I was teaching. If you just write anything at all on the board, doesn't matter what it is, people pay attention. <laughs> it could be anything. But this is something good. When God created man as a tripartite being, he created a body, he created a soul, and a spirit. There's no self there. There's no self there. There's a body, a soul, and a spirit. So where did the self come from? If God didn't create the self, where did it come from? Well, here it tells you, under number one. How about we read number one? The self. Uh, that's quite a statement. What, what is that referring to? That's referring to Genesis 3 when Satan attacked Eve. What part of Eve did he attack? He attacked her mind. You know, the mind is the most vulnerable thing in the human being to the attack of Satan. Not even the emotions, it's the mind. The mind is a very easy target for Satan. The will is not, the will is not. You know why? Man has a free will. God does not control your will and Satan does not control your will. Your will is the only part of you that you have 100% total control over. Do you know that? If that were not true, no one could ever be saved. If Satan could control man's will, nobody could be saved. And God refuses to control man's will. He could, but he won't. So Satan, will, he'll never attack the will. He can't. He can't win that battle. He can't attack your spirit. He can't win that battle. But he can attack your mind. Think about your experience every day. When the enemy's attack comes, where does it come? So, when he comes to Eve, he plants a thought. He's good at it. He's good at it. It's what he does with us. He says, oh, look at Ben. Look at his shoes. What's wrong with Ben? Ben didn't do anything. He was just sitting in the meeting, but a thought, a negative thought comes into your mind. Where'd that come from? Satan. He does it all the time, doesn't he? Somebody stands up to prophesy. Oh, she always says that. Same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could give that prophecy for her. I know what she's gonna say. <laughs> Where'd that come from? It's not your thought. That's a satanic thought. Amen. You have to, you, this is something we have to learn in our experience to reject the thoughts of Satan. We have to reject them. Eve did not reject them. When the thought came, all she did was receive the thought that she was done. It's over. You receive that thought, you're finished. Satan knows this. He, it's like a little, just a little injection. Just the poison is in. She didn't even know it. She, she just thought she was having a little chat with the devil. Next thing she knows, her thoughts, according to First Corinthians or Second Corinthians eleven two, her thoughts were corrupted. 
once, once a person's thoughts are corrupted, the rest will follow. Everything follows the thoughts. The devil knows this. If he can corrupt your thoughts, he will corrupt your entire being. It's exactly what happened. So, you know, our soul, our human soul, has three parts, a mind, emotion, and will. The part that Satan goes straight for is our mind. And once he can get our thinking confused and corrupted, the rest of our soul is corrupted. Once our soul is corrupted, it's a very small step for our body to also be corrupted because what we do is all governed by our mind. So Satan came into man's mind. From his mind, he corrupted man's emotions. From his emotions, he corrupted man's will. And then from this corrupted soul, he corrupted man's body. Thank God he did not corrupt our spirit. Can't do it. He can't touch it. That's really good news. So this corrupted soul, this thing in its entirety, the corrupted mind, emotion, and will, that's the self. That's what we mean when we say self. That's what the Bible means when it says, talks about the self. So you see, the self was not created by God. The self is the soul corrupted by the mind of Satan. That's the, that's the self. And then it makes that self the equal to Satan. So when Peter spoke from his self, the Lord said, no, Satan, get behind me, Satan, because your corrupted soul, my corrupted soul, yourself, myself, they're one with Satan. That's the kingdom of Satan inside of us. Okay? Number two, here's another definition of the self. The self, maybe we should read this one together. The self... Okay, so this brings in the thought of independence. Why do we say that the self is related to independence? Well, when God created this human being, the person, the person was supposed to be man's spirit. And when, the, when man was corrupted, the person became himself, himself. So if the person is to be our spirit, God ordained that man would take in the tree of life, signifying God himself as life. That means man in his living and in his person would depend entirely on God as life and nothing else. But once man took in the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, remember Satan's temptation to Eve. He said, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you won't need God anymore. You know what God knows, you don't need him. You can be yourself, independent from God. That was Satan's temptation. And that's what Eve did. And Adam followed her and did it also. So that's why we talk about independence. And that fallen self is not only independent from God, it's independent from everybody, especially in America. America all about self 
reliance. It's all about, I don't need you. I got myself. Oh, terrible. Terrible. So that's why we say it's, the self is a big enemy to the building up of the body. It's an enemy. Firstly, it's the enemy of our Christian life. It causes us not to depend on God as the tree of life individually. It's also the enemy of, our, of the, the church life, the body life, because it causes us not to depend on one another. So what do we do with the self? The key that the Lord gave in Matthew 16 is to deny the self. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. It's not, you're thinking it's not easy to deny the self. Well, it says here, if we exercise the key of denying the self, it is impossible for us to be offended. One of the questions that I didn't answer yesterday concerned the matter of offenses. Actually, two questions concerned the matter of offenses. Listen, to offend a person is not that serious. We all do that. But to be offended is very serious. It's very serious. If you go to the Lord, you will find out the only reason you are offended, it's not the fault of the person who accidentally offended you. It's yourself. It's yourself. If yourself was not so strong, you couldn't be offended. But because yourself is strong, you are easily offended. And have you noticed in the church life, there are some people who are constantly offended. <laughs> no, there are. And, and not the average saint. The average saint like you and me, we get, we get offended. I get offended. Do you? But I'm not constantly offended. <laughs> Most of the time I'm not offended. But occasionally I get offended. But there are some people, everything offends them. I've known some people like this. Big self. Gigantic self. But the, in principle, we're exactly the same. When we get offended, yeah, when they get offended, it's because of the self. But when we get offended, it's because of ourself. So what do we need to do? Lock up the self. Now, the Lord, in his human life, he had to do that. He had to do that. And he did it. He never lived in himself, not once. So if we say, oh, to deny the self, it's impossible. Be careful, you may offend the Lord. The one who always denied himself lives in us. Yeah. He had to do that as the pioneer. He had to live that God-man life by himself. You and I have that self-denying person. He lives in us. So, you know, when Pilate passed judgment on him, he opened not his mouth. Can you do it? <laughs> when, Pilate, when he was unjustly convicted, he didn't say a word. What is that? He locked up the self. Recently, I read this verse in John 8, which impressed me very, very much. You know, locking up the self has a lot to do with keeping this thing shut, the mouth. Oh, I don't want to lose that. Okay, I'll just try to quote this. In John 8, after uh, the Lord shepherded the woman caught in adultery, the... Uh, Religious people, they attacked him. And one of the things they said to him is, you have a demon. Hey, David, if I, I say to you, you have a demon. You're going to go, no, you have a demon. <laughs> right? 
I mean, that's, that's, that's what would happen. Listen to what the Lord said. I think it's verse 26 of John 8. He said, I have many things to say to you and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I only speak the things that I hear from him. Woo, what a denial of the self. What a denial of the self. So I say again, denying the self very often involves not saying something that we really want to say to our wife (laughs) or husband. I want to read a quote to you now from the ministry. And I want to tell you where it is. This is, this, please pay attention to this. This related to marriage. This is the life study of Mark, life study of the gospel of Mark, page 278. And this quote tells us that how we handle our marriage life will determine how we live or do not live in the kingdom. Have you ever thought about it? Okay, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to quote it so you know it's not my words. On the one hand, marriage is a necessity. On the other hand, married life is difficult. Nevertheless, we must learn to love this difficulty and even care for it with affection. This means that we should love our marriage and take good care of it. Otherwise, we shall be hindered in entering into the kingdom of God. We must honor what God says in his word concerning marriage. It is a serious matter not to handle our marriage life properly. Failure to take care of our married life according to God will keep us from entering into the kingdom. Did you hear that one? Failure to take care of our married life according to God will keep us from entering into the kingdom. Yes, we are now on our way to the kingdom. But whether we shall actually enter into the kingdom in the coming age is still pending. According to chapter 10 of Mark, whether we shall enter the kingdom in the coming age depends in the first place on the way we handle our marriage life. First place. That's why I said yesterday that the very first person, you talk about the building up of the church. We talk about vital groups in the church life. The very first person you must be built up with is who? And it's hard, isn't it? Because there's a big natural life there. There's two selves there. And both of those selves have to die in order for them to be built up and become a vital group. Oh, God is wise, isn't he? He is so wise because the self always looks for an escape from the cross, always. And if there's a door, I'm through it, just like you. But there's no door out of this one because once you're married, there's no way out. And the only way out is death, physically and spiritually. (laughs) You know, in the marriage life, if even one of the two persons experiences the cross, it'll be okay. If neither person experiences the cross, it's going to be bad. But if even one, so I say this because we often say, well, you're not taking the cross, why should I? <laughs> no, 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 no. Does, yeah, you got to shut that gate. 
shut that gate. No, if one person takes the cross, there won't be a problem. If both the husband and wife experience the cross, it will be wonderful. You know why? Because that's a vital group. And that is a place where the church is being built. Right there. Right there. In that marriage. In that home. In that family. And I say again, as I said yesterday, if you can't do it in your home, what makes you think you can do it in the church? That's the member of the body of Christ you're the closest to. Okay, I want to read you one more quote, and then I'll finish this outline. This is from the Life Study of Hebrews, page 613. Verse 4 of Hebrews 13 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and the bed undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Apparently, this is unrelated to the church life. However, marriage is a very important factor in the church life. Whether a church is sound and healthy or loses its element and essence is very much dependent upon the marriage life. Do not consider the matter of marriage to be a light thing. Well, I have more, but I have too many. You get my point. The point is, don't think that what happens in your house and in your marriage is something different than the church. That is the church. If there's division in your house, there's division in the church. If there's offenses in your house, there are offenses in the church. You, you need to know that. So, the Lord ordained that we would, most of us anyway, that we would, we would be married. Oh, the hardest thing in the marriage life is to keep your mouth shut when it needs to be shut. Or is it just me? You know how you can tell if a person is experiencing the cross? They start to say something and they stop. They go, ah! <laughs> That's what the Lord did in John 8. You have a demon! <laughs> yeah, swallow that self. That's the one who lives in us. If we live him, we can experience the cross. The cross is not something different from him. Don't ever separate Christ from the cross. It's a serious mistake. Don't think that experiencing Christ is one thing. Experiencing the cross is another thing. No, no. Experiencing Christ is to experience the cross. Don't separate those. Uh, we, need a, we need a whole message on that. Okay, B, we need to exercise the key of taking up the cross. That was the second word that the Lord spoke to Peter. Anyone who wants to come after me must take up his cross. You know, the Lord didn't say take up the cross. He said take up his cross. The reason it says his cross is that the Lord's particular arrangement for us is his will concerning us. And that's our cross. You know, the cross is the will of God. In Matthew 26, when the Lord was there in Gethsemane, he prayed, oh, listen to this. He prayed this, not my will but your will be done think about it that's the denial of the self that's the denial of the self 
What he means is, at this moment, as a man, as a real man on the earth, my will is not one with the Father's will. So I reject my will and I take the Father's will. And what was the Father's will? The cross. The cross. So this is the principle for us. When we deny ourselves, we take God's will. God's will is the cross. And what's the cross? It's the very circumstances that he has arranged for you and for me. That's my cross. That's your cross. Can you see that? Okay, to take up the cross simply means to take up the will of God. The cross is God's will. The words, let him take up his cross, means that we are not forced to bear the cross, but willingly take it up as the Lord did. It's true, isn't it? We're not forced to. If you, if you really refuse to take the cross, you you can do that because you have a free will. But how foolish. How foolish. Sometimes when married couples say to me they want to get a divorce, I say, well, <clears throat> I can't stop you. But you're making a huge mistake because that person you want to divorce is a member of the body of Christ, you will be reconciled to that person either in this age or in the next age, you will. It's the clear teaching of the Bible. That's why the quote I read you says, how we handle our marriage life very much affects our entrance into the kingdom. You wanna enter into the kingdom? Don't divorce, don't divorce. And don't leave the church life. Don't let it be an option. I've said this before, but <laughs> very often I, I, when I share at somebody's wedding meeting, I don't do it much anymore because this is why I don't do it very much anymore, Ben. <laughs> I say to the, to the couple that's about to be married, I say, as soon as this meeting is over, go home, find your dictionary, turn to the section of the letter D, find the page that has divorce, tear it out and burn it. <laughs> and by the way, division is on that same page. <laughs> so tear that one out and burn it. And here's what I mean by that. It's never gonna be an option. It's not gonna be an option. Don't, don't even let that word come out of your mouth. It's not an option. And you know what? That's how we have to be with the church life. I don't care what you do with me. Excommunicate me, kick me out, offend me. I'm not leaving. I'm not. I decided that 45 years ago. I've never, I've never looked back once. I've never looked back once. I don't care. I don't care. And believe me, I've been offended. You think I haven't been offended in the last 45 years? I've been offended a lot. Don't make it an option. I have, no, I have no option. The only option I have is stay in the church life. If I'm happy, I stay in the church life. If I'm not happy, I stay in the church life. If I'm offended, I stay in the church life. Yesterday, our, sister, our Ethiopian sister talked, where is she? She in the meeting? She talked about staying in the church life. Here's the secret. Don't ever make leaving the church life an option. You know why? Because you will, you will go through some things. You'll have some hard times. Just like in the marriage life. You will have some hard times. You will. So if, if you have such an option, you might take it. So just don't have that option. Take that option off the table from the very beginning. And you know what that is? That's taking the cross. That's accepting God's will. Lord, you gave me this person. 
and you placed me in the body of Christ in this place, that's your will. I take your will. So don't tell your husband or wife you're my cross. (laughs) It's much better to say, you're the will of God for me. (laughs) Dear. (laughs) And make sure you smile when you say it. To take up the cross simply means to take up the will of God. The cross is God's will. Oh, I read that. Okay, three. Uh, We also need to carry our cross. That is remain on the cross, keeping our old man under the termination of the cross day by day. How do we do that? Well... As I said, the Lord, the one who always took up the cross, the one who always denied his own will, lives in us. He's the spirit in our spirits. So Romans 8.13 says, If you, by the spirit, put to death the practices of the body, you will live. I love that verse. You do it but you do it by the Spirit. You, by the Spirit, put to death the practices of the body, you will live. Okay, the third key is the key of losing the soul life. To save the soul life is to please the self. You know the self likes to be offended, and and the self likes to wallow in offenses. Isn't that true? Okay. Oh, oh. He offended me. I, I can't, I'm not going to let this go just yet. I want to think about how badly he offended me and in how many ways he offended me and how many times he offended me. That's what Peter did. He said, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive? <laughs> is, is seven, you know, because I've been offended more than seven. Have I reached the limit yet? See, the self likes that. The self likes that. To save the souls, to please the self by allowing the self to have its enjoyment. To lose the soul life is to lose the enjoyment of the soul. If we are willing to lose all our present soulish enjoyment for the Lord's sake, for the sake of the church and the saints, others will be nourished and built up by us. So two and a half years ago, I think, when I came here, we talked about Luke chapter 14. And that's what Luke chapter 14 talks about. Are we willing to forsake these, the soulish enjoyment in this age? Well, we saw the secret in Luke 14. It all depends on how you value what you get in return. What you get in return is the great privilege of following the Lord for the building up of the church and the defeating of his enemy. In Luke 14, it's signified by two parables, a a man building a tower and a king going to war. That's the building of the church and the defeating of God's enemy. If you see that, and if you see the value of building up the church and the value of defeating God's enemy, then you'll be like Paul. You'll say, I suffered the loss of all things and they are refuse because I gained Christ. Uh, The kingdom reward of sharing the king's joy in ruling over the earth in the manifestation of the kingdom, that's in the next age, depends upon whether we save our soul life in this age or lose it. 
So those are the three keys, the three keys denying the self, taking up the cross. When the Lord talked to Peter about taking up the cross, he said, Peter, you are not setting your mind on the things of God. So he mentioned his mind. You're not setting your mind. So taking the cross is also very much related to where we set our mind. You know, the word set implies the will. So the satanic thought comes to our mind. We set our mind on the spirit. We do not set our mind on that thought that came to us. That's taking the cross. To set our mind where our mind should be is also an aspect of taking the cross. And then the third key to lose the soul life, the soul life equals the self. The the life of the self is the soul life. Okay, I know this is a, uh, a a strong word, but this is what we mean by participating in the kingdom of God in the, for the building up of the church. This is the way it will happen. And I say again, don't separate the experience of the cross from the experience of Christ. Next week, we will have a Memorial Day conference. The subject of that conference is the experience of Christ from the book of Philippians. All six messages will be from Philippians. And Philippians shows us this. Paul's experience of Christ was his experience of Christ's death and resurrection. They were the same thing. Okay, let's pray for a minute, and then I think we'll still have time for sharing.